Welcome to the VIP Ignite podcast, your source for tomorrow's talent today. Hear real-life stories of models, actors, and musicians breaking down barriers, launching careers, and sharing their stories of overcoming obstacles and finding real success. They will activate the winner in you by revealing the path with their best tips and advice. My name is Denise White, and I am the host of the Coffee in the Green Room podcast. Here in Coffee in the Green Room, we have those conversations you may not have in front of the stage, but you definitely have behind the stage. Today, I am so excited to have Joe Stolte here. Joe, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. You're welcome. So, Joe, you have built and exited multiple companies as an entrepreneur, so before I to have you tell me that story, can you start with how did you find out that you were an entrepreneur? How did you get your start? Yeah, good, good question. And I always love to point out that for like every f- success I've had, I probably had like three or five X the number of failures. So, um, but yeah, I knew from a very young age that I was going to be an entrepreneur as, as young as like probably first grade, second grade. You know, I was raised in the 80s. My, my father was in the military and he traveled instead of having us travel. My mom worked two jobs. I grew up in this like farm town of less than a thousand people. And so I walked to school at a really young age and uh, my parents didn't have time to make me lunch. They gave me money to buy my lunch. But the school lunch has always kind of sucked. So my first entrepreneurial hustle, if you will, was I would go to the store, the convenience store on the way to school, and I would buy all the candy that I could get. And I would trade candy for like the best food in the lunchroom. And then it was just like one hustle after another to be creative and resourceful. Um, the next thing that I did was, I mean, it was probably like um, 10, I think, nine or 10. Uh, my father had taught me how to mow the lawn when he was on a break from the military, but I really didn't like mowing the lawn. So um, in my little farm town, there wasn't very many places to make money and I was too young to get a job. So people would mow lawns for money. And so what I did is I would knock on these doors and ask people to, you know, we pay me 10 bucks and I'd mow your lawn. Um, but then instead of mowing people's lawns, which I tried to do, but sucked at, I went and asked my friends if I could borrow their lawn mowers. And because I lived in a farm town, there's a bunch of migrant workers, you know, people that spoke Spanish and were working on the farms, like picking berries as seasonal workers. So a friend of mine speaks Spanish and I was like, hey, can you ask them if they'll mow lawns for five bucks? And so I basically got them to mow the lawns for five bucks. I kept five bucks. And that's how I funded like my, my school clothes outfits. I, I really wanted to buy like uh, like some Jordan sneakers and guest overalls and a Raider starter jacket. This was in the early 90s. So like that's awesome. the youngest possible age, I could keep going. But there's I have all these stories where I've just done stuff like that. That's awesome. So how, translate that from... <laughs> from hustling candy and mowing lawns to where you are now. Yeah. You know, it's always just, it's been kind of like an evolution of following my desires or like what I really want in life, I guess. I never really thought about it as entrepreneurship. I just would think like, Oh, I really want something and I wouldn't let money or, um, you know, there's a wall there. I would go over it, go around it or break through it kind of mentality. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean that, that took a lot of different directions after, uh, I left high school instead of going into like college and and um, going into like corporate America. I actually was a professional dancer for for many many years. Really, and, that's cool. Yeah, and my my I was a professional break dancer. So my break dancing group, uh, we won two world titles. The mayor of Seattle gave us our own day twice, um, wow. and and on and on. We toured and did a bunch of stuff. 
but the the main way that I was able to survive from doing that, because you, at that time you couldn't make any money doing that or any livable wages, is I would basically find these side hustles and odd things to do to stay alive. But then eventually, like a mentor of mine took me under his wing, and um, you know I, I got inspired to go to college. I worked in management consulting. I spent a few years at Microsoft, and then one day I woke up and was like, "Man, I, I don't want to work in a corporate company. I want to go try and do something really impactful in the world." And so my desire. You know, I had shifted at the time. My desire back in the day was to eat good school lunch and to have cool school clothes. And then my desire was to just be a dancer. And then now my desire was like, hey, how can we use technology to really change the world, to help people's lives, make money and make an impact? And for the last 10, 11 years, that's really been the path that I'm on is just how do we how do we do that? And, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough. I'm a fifth time founder. We've had three successful exits. And a couple of really brutal, difficult failures along the way. But that's the translation, you know, it's like, hey, just following my kind of inner signal of desire and then trying to figure out how do we make that true in the real world? Yeah. Well, how, okay. So you, you've mentioned the word failures a couple of times and it's something normal people don't like talking about failures, but I feel like entrepreneurs, they're like, yeah, you know, I failed so many times. It's like, it's like the complete opposite. So for my listeners, a lot of them are actors, models, and musicians. And for them, rejection and failure is like something they like shrink back from. But how do you take a failure and overcome it? Like think of like one of your, the, the companies that you mentioned that failed. Like how do you take the lessons that you learned and apply them so that you don't make the same mistake more than once? Yeah, well... There's two things that I think are valuable to share here. The first thing, uh, something that my mentor shared for me at a very young age is he said, hey, don't spend more than 24 hours sulking after you after a loss mm-hmm. or a setback and don't spend more than 24 hours celebrating after a huge win, no matter mm-hmm. how big the loss or how big the win, because tomorrow is another day, right? And in every day, yeah. you're just back in, back in, back in, right? And so that really helped set my mindset because even with our exits, I would be like, all right, don't get too comfortable. Let's get back and and go again. And that's why I've been able to go back and start so many companies. But on the, on the failures, you know um, there's lots of ways I think to approach this. Um, I think what's been helpful for me is like, even as a creative, you know, as a dancer, you know, we performed a lot, we auditioned, we went on tour, we did music videos and lots of different media and commercials. And so like what I would think about is I would try to, cause I'm as a, as a creative, as a creator, I'm so creative. I'm channeling a lot of energy or my own channel or what's going on for me and trying to turn that into my art. But what I, what was really helpful for me is I just started thinking about it more like a scientist. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wasn't a scientist running an experiment and it didn't work, like you kind of expect most experiments not to work. Yeah. So I would look at each audition or each practice or each thing as like a little experiment and go, Oh, well, that didn't, that didn't work, but here's why, let me change that one thing. And so like, as a dancer, I would record everything that I did, like all the moves that I was practicing. And then I would go back and watch the tape, run the tape and see what was was working and what wasn't and just try to find one thing to improve. So now all of a sudden, why does that help? Because when you're thinking about it from a scientist perspective, you're curious, right? You're curious about what, what was going on here. And when you're in curiosity, it's just a higher state of consciousness than uh, anxiety, overwhelm, stress, frustration, sadness. So curiosity is like an immediate shift to get you out of into a more powerful, productive state. And then you can actually bring your awareness to feel like, oh, how, how could I do a little bit better? And I never, ever expect anything to be perfect. And I don't always expect things to go my way, but I hold a vision in my mind of what it's going to look and feel like when it does go my way. Right. And then I compare what I recorded or what I saw to that vision I have in my head. 
And I'm usually like, oh man, there's so many things I could fix. Let me just pick one though. So I don't get yeah. overwhelmed. Pick that one thing and do it again. It was the same thing when I started making social media content. Like, like a few years back, I made a, a one minute Instagram video every day for a year. And it was just terrible at first, but I just picked, picked one, one thing to improve. And by the end of the year, I felt really, really comfortable and I could get a lot concisely expressed in one minute, but it, it came from the same process. Like how do I shift my perspective? So I'm not thinking about it as end of life failure mm -hmm. success. It's more like, oh, if I were, to, if, if I was a scientist, how could I, how could I look at this like an experiment and find one tweak to make in order to make this the next version of this successful? So I, I love that mentality. I think if actors and models and musicians were to see each audition as an experiment, I love that analogy because then you're like, okay, you know what? You're, you, you don't expect every experiment to be successful because that's the, that's the nature of the beast. So I, I love that because that takes so much pressure off of whatever you're doing. Even as, an, even as an entrepreneur, a lot of times there's a lot of money on the line when you're an entrepreneur. But if you see the different things that you do as an experiment, then that takes that that sting of quote unquote failure out of the whole process. Yeah. And, and there's some really more nuanced things here from a mindset perspective that I I can't speak to everyone else's experience and say, oh, this is what you'll experience. But my experience has been kind of walking this fine line between like delusional levels of certainty when I need to be in performance mode. Yeah. And then uh, humble curiosity afterwards, which are sort of very different headspaces to be in they're very antithetical in some space but yeah. you kind of need both you need to be able mm -hmm. to turn that certainty switch on when you're in performance mode then yeah. you have to turn that curiosity that humble sort of what can i learn student mode on after and i think um, if you can just think about your own state and how to shift the state between those two things it makes this um it, it makes this uh, like the, the audition process easier. And, and I tell you why I think auditions are so difficult from, you know, even now, like I'm a, I'm a startup entrepreneur. I, I pitch for venture capital. In some ways, it's like an audition. It's like a yeah. really long audition. And it feels really bad when somebody arbitrarily passes judgment on your art, like mm -hmm. on your most creative expression or like kind of your heart, like, a, like how much you poured into this thing that you've created, whether that's your performance or some other form of creativity, which for me, business is just a giant canvas that I'm painting on. And so um, it's, it can be, I can just want to acknowledge it's very, can be very emotionally trying. And I think that that you're inclined and uh, you should feel those emotions. I just don't think it's very useful to stay in that place for longer than a day. Then you can get back to work. Uh, but I do want to acknowledge, man, it's hard. It's hard to take that, to have that courage and to do it. But I will say that I don't know a single person, like a single person that I've ever encountered that has just committed to making one little improvement and then also committed to keeping their feet moving and not giving up and continuing to try, 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 that has failed over the long run, right? You know, that old yeah. saying, we tend to uh, overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10. I think yeah. somebody said that Bill Gates said that. I think that's so true. Um, you just have to keep your feet moving and have um, what I call long-term optimism and short-term mm -hmm. pessimism. Expect to fail in the short term and improve it but also just expect that if you keep doing that, you're going to win no matter what. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause you keep making steps forward and that's the most, that's the most important part is the forward progress. Yeah. Just get up and go the next day. I call it the Rocky mentality, you know, yeah. just don't give up, just keep your feet moving. That's awesome. So Joe, what are, what are you most proud of? You've accomplished so many things. What is one thing that you're like the most proud of? Yeah, this might be a little not obvious and counterintuitive, but it's, appropriate to my stage of life 
So I'm in my forties now and I have two kids and I'm a founder. I'm a, I'm a founder of what you might call a zero to one startup, which just means we aren't in scale mode just yet. We're very, very close. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if I didn't have kids, I probably wouldn't be doing this because um, I've already done this before and it, it feels like ground I've already covered, but I'm really proud of the fact that I've, uh, I'm doing this sort of with a new set of rules, a new set of parameters, which is I have to prioritize my family. Right? Yeah. There's no scenario where I deprioritize uh, critical moments with my family. And so what that looks like is, you know, dinner every night with the family. Um, what that looks like is I I don't uh, I don't travel without my family, only on very rare occasions, but I, I bring them everywhere we go. You know, I must have done like 30 or 40 keynotes this year and 90% of them, I just bring my, my wife and my two kids and we just wow. go, you know, because I want them to have that experience, but also I want to be able to be around them and still uh, have them a part of my lives and vice versa. So it's a whole different set of challenges when it's like, okay, like in order to be successful as a CEO, I have to manage my energy, which means I have to take care of my body. I have to get enough sleep. I have to leave enough headspace for my children. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's like three-dimensional chess. It's a little different version of the game that I'm playing now. And I, I enjoy it. It's much, much more difficult, but it's, in, it's much more rewarding when we win. So I was reading, um, I'm in the middle of reading Kevin Harrington's book, um, mentor to millions and I love that in the beginning of the book he talks about how that's his priority too he like his goal is like he he's in this in a stage of his life right now where he wants to prioritize his family as well as business and I think a lot of times entrepreneurs and even creatives they'll they're willing not willing but they don't realize that you don't have to sacrifice your home life for your business life like there are definitely stages where you're working more hours like when you're in the beginning of a startup you're going to work more hours, but I love that you're prioritizing family. Cause I feel like so many times I've interviewed so many entrepreneurs and so few people talk about like how you have to balance your family because why, like, why else are you doing this? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think it all comes down to motivation too. You know, um, one school of thought around motivation is that we're primarily motivated by just things we want and want to move towards and things we want to move away from. And, uh, there's a, if you study cognitive biases, uh, generally speaking, we're twice as motivated to move away from things we don't want yeah. as we are to move towards things that we do want. And I love, there's a mental model that I think Jeff Bezos has, it's called the regret minimization framework. It's like, if I have to make a choice between two things, well, which one uh, will produce the least amount of regret over time? Because mm-hmm. and, and that, that sort of capitalizes on this idea of like, I want to move away from pain. And so yeah. like, like if, if, if this business fails, like I will regret that significantly less than if I spent all the time doing that, not spending any time with my kids, you know, or yeah. the critical times with my kids. So it's an easy choice for me, right? Yeah. I, I, that's a, that's that, that's the kind of set of operating systems and applications in my head that I keep running when I want to stay focused on, on, you know, having my cake and eat it too, when it comes to work and family. Um, but I, I think generally speaking, if you, I think we have a, a much higher upper limit of what's capable and what's possible for us than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. You know? And I think if, it starts with just being able to imagine uh, the future that you want in your mind. You know, I think I tend to be an and person instead of an or person. Anytime someone gives me an or choice, I immediately think, well, how can I have both? You know, <laughs> I think if you train yeah. yourself to think like that, your brain can't help but go and find new and interesting ways to explore that question. It's a powerful question. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that it's important to, to keep in mind, like anytime you feel like you've hit your upper limit, it's almost always, it's almost entirely in your mind. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. When you ask better questions, you get better answers out. So I love that. That's awesome. That's 
Well, Joe, one question I'd love to ask on the podcast is at the end of the day, in like 20, 30, 40, 50 years, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I don't necessarily know if I, I want people to care or remember me. You know, I like like if people want that in their lives, I, I honor and respect they want that. I, I'm not, I'm in a place in my life where like 20 year old Joe would have been like, oh, like and had the list of things, but I don't necessarily want you to remember me, right? Like I, I just want to materially leave the world a better place. I, I want I want the things that we create to improve people's lives. I want the money that I make to go towards things that literally actually saves human lives. And if it never, if you never remembered me, but we had that kind of impact with like you know my family and the teams that I work with, and that would be excellent, you know. Um, but I think one common thought to answer the question in a more classical way is like I I like the idea that people that met me even like three or five years ago were will be inclined to say something like, oh man, I knew Joe back when X, you know, yeah. and, and to never have that stop. Cause if that, that, not because I have like a egoic need to like increase my status. It's more like if I keep pushing to find out what's possible for me, then that will, that will automatically be true. You know? And it's like, yeah. I have friends that I was close with, you know, even in, even before I had my kids, my, my oldest kid is just under five years old and you know, they'll, 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 they, and I knew them really well up until the point of having kids. And, um, but, you know, I'm such a different person and uh, in every way, including the, the kind of accomplishments that I've had and the things that I'm thinking about now. And so if I just keep doing that, like imagine the example that's going to set for my kids, you know, that yeah. seems pretty cool. So I like the idea that uh, everyone's constantly uh, looking at me and saying, oh, I remember Joe when, when he was X, meaning like mm-hmm. he's now somewhere else on another stratosphere, but I knew him when he was wherever before. I like yeah. the idea of that. That means that I've kept my feet moving and uh, didn't give up. That's awesome. I love that. So Joe, where can people find you? If someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, I need to know more about Joe, where can they yeah. find you? Um, you can find me at, uh, mostly on Instagram. My handle is, uh, Joe Stolte live, or just Google my name, Joe Stolte. There's all the, you'll find all the ways to get in touch with me. Um, but other than that, the other, I guess the other way to get a hold of me or follow what I'm up to is, you know, like right, right now I'm the CEO of a company called daily.ai and, um, we build AI automated email newsletters for thought leaders, uh, and small brands, everybody from, you know, New York Times bestselling authors to nonprofits and service-based businesses and real estate agents and that kind of thing. Um, and that, that's, you know, other than my family, that's that that really is where I spend a lot of my time. We, we have a vision to, you know, impact um, a billion people with, with what we call positive news. Wow. So, you know, we use AI to curate people's newsletters, email newsletters, and they get 40 to 60% open rates. But we filter out negative news and clickbait and uh, quite frankly, a lot of stuff that causes us to go into that fight or flight mode. And Mm -hmm. we actually serve up what what we consider what we call future forward positive content, just content that um, helps you learn, helps you grow. And of course, brings more attention to you and your business so you can get more leads and sales. Um, But yeah, that's that's the main thing I'm focused on. And um, if you want to know what I'm what I'm working on, I mean, that's it. Daily.ai. That's my main focus right now. Awesome. And we love our newsletter. Our our latest edition just came out today. I was like, oh, it's the newsletter. I'm talking to Joe in just a couple of minutes. That's awesome. Amazing. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the reaction that we want. You know, it's like um, 
Yeah. I mean, email newsletters are such a powerful marketing mechanism, but they take so much time, you know, yeah. and, and as you can probably attest to, we've got it down to where if you're a brand or a publisher putting a newsletter out, it takes less than five minutes of your time a week to review the content. And yep. our AI literally does everything else in the background with our human team to give it the human touch. But yeah, we're excited. And that this is just the beginning, you know, like our vision uh, inside of this is to really do this beyond email and in lots of other channels to help brands grow and reach more people positively and yeah, grow their businesses, of course. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And yeah, my pleasure. For anyone listening, make sure you hit subscribe to the Coffee in the Green Room podcast because if you thought that this interview with Joe was amazing, just wait, the best is yet to come. But so Joe, thank you again so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And um, I will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the VIP Ignite podcast. For free resources and to learn more about how to become a model, actor, or musician, please head over to ammsociety.com. And if you love this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you.